Welcome back to another episode of Creedle. This is the first video podcast that I've done in my new space here. It's, it's, it's nothing remarkable as a studio, but we've moved. So this is a new office that I have. The background looks different. It looks pretty unremarkable, to be honest. Uh, but here we are. And joining me for this very special first video podcast in this space is Larry Trapp, who's coming to me from his, his uh, Catholic worker farm in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Larry is an old friend. We were just talking about how I think it was more than three years ago that we did our first podcast together. It was great. I learned from him every time. So, Larry, I'm really delighted to talk to you again. Welcome back to Greedle. Yeah, if, if I'm even a tiny bit famous in a very small pond, it's because I went on your podcast three years ago or whatever, and uh, the word began to spread far and wide. So, anyway, but thanks a lot. All joking aside, it's great to be here, Zach. Yeah, well, I'm very excited to have you. Uh, we're talking about fiducia supplicans today. Yes. Uh, which is a recent uh, recent uh, teaching edict from the Dicastria, the Doctrine of the Faith. Uh, I suppose the technical term is a declaration. And that's and, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Why is that important, Larry? Why, why does it matter what this is? It's, bec- it's because it's the highest uh, and most authoritative level uh, of any document that can be issued by that particular dicastery. The only thing that would be higher would be a declaration that was in what's called the Forma Specifica, and that means a declaration that is published as a part of the papal magisterium. So Forma Specifica would be a DDF declaration co-published with papal magisterial um, approval, I guess you'd say. So it's it's actually part of the papal magisterium. But it, it is not in the Forma Specifica, which means that it's it's done with papal approval and it has the Pope's signature, but it's not technically considered to be part of the papal magisterium. It is a document of the magisterium from the DDF and the highest level document of the DDF, but it is not technically part of the papal magisterium. Great, yeah. So very important, highest level of uh, sub- highest level of teaching that the dicastery can do, sort of on its own without it being part of the papal. A That's right. teaching, and it does, like you said, bear the signature of Francis. So this is a pretty high up, uh, high up. Document. Oh yeah, it's magisterial, and it's yeah. high up there. Yeah, as far as the uh, the DDF. not as high as an encyclical or a ecumenical council or something like that, but it's for an exhortation. It, yeah, let's put it this way: it's authoritative. We have to pay attention to it. Yeah, so it's authoritative, and uh, it is designed to uh, <coughs> present some new teaching on the pastoral meaning of blessings. Um, now, the history here, in 2021, this same teaching body, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, I think at that time it was still a congregation, although, you know, because Pope Francis is on this reorganization. Yeah. Of the used to be period. called the CDF. Right. Um, but in 2021, the CDF, uh, then named the CDF, published a teaching that basically said, look, you cannot um, bless gay marriages or gay unions because uh, that is a different form uh, of human union that is not intended by God uh, to be to be um, fulfilled in a sexual manner. That is only marriage between a man and a woman. Um, and this teaching is trying to clarify a bit more, or really, in its own words, sort of add additional meaning to this teaching on blessings and the pastoral meaning of blessings. Now, Larry, we haven't um, we haven't talked about this uh, yet much. We've texted just a little bit here and there. And I'm sorry, it looks like my camera is still out. So I might, uh, once, once you're chatting, I might uh, try to troubleshoot here. Sure. We've chatted about this a little bit, just over text. Um, there are two different modes of receiving this that we have seen across the world. One mode says, this is horrible. This is an absolute disaster. 
This is a confusing teaching at best. This is a heretical teaching at worst. Uh, and there's lots of consternation and scandal about what this teaching, this new teaching is saying. On the other hand, there are people who are saying this is, who are saying this is a beautiful document uh, giving us new, a, a, an authentic development of the teaching on what a blessing is and how a blessing can be given and dispensed by Holy Mother Church. And this is, frankly, a very welcome change, and so we need to implement this now, and this is the church moving in the right direction, etc. And those, those responses are basically coming from the people whom you'd expect. Um, now, I will ask you in just a minute for your take, Larry. My take, very briefly, doesn't really fall on either of those lines. I'm not concerned that this is, you know, the church upending her millennia-old teaching on the fundamental reality of marriage. I'm not concerned that this is, uh, you know, now declaring a free-for-all for the celebration of gay marriage. Uh, I really just think, and we can talk about the subsequent press release and then the reception of this document by bishop conferences around the world, I really think this is just an absolute disaster of a rollout. And honestly, I've read through the document, I've annotated it, I have my copy here in front of me. This is probably the most lightweight theological thing I have ever read coming out of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. I just think it's an abject disaster. Uh, this is uh, Cardinal Fernandez, whom Pope Francis just recently installed a few months ago in this position, heading up this dicastery. This is his big moment, his first moment doing something big, shaking things up. And uh, it has been just an abject disaster in, I think, really, no matter no matter how you slice it. That's my brief take. What do you think? I think you're you're absolutely correct. I th- what I've said in places like, you know, X, Twitter, and Facebook is that it's it's a train wreck. I, and I consider it to be a pastoral train wreck. No, I don't, it's not heretical. And, and so all the people that are screaming, you know, further proof that Pope Francis is a heretic and just, you know, calm, calm the jets. You're, you're actually hurting people's faith and, and getting people to think that, you know, the Pope and the Vatican have all fallen into heresy. I, 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 that's, it's not true. In some ways, it's, it's, it's almost worse than heresy, right? A heresy you can point at, you know, look to and say, here's what's wrong. This is exactly why this is heretical, condemn it and sort of move on. It would be bad if it were the Pope doing it, but if it's just say, some flunky at the CDF, DDF, Fernandez, uttering heresy, you can point that out without damaging the church. Nevertheless, it, I don't think it is heretical. It's still a, it's a pastoral train wreck on, on a multiplicity of levels. Uh, what I like to say is, is, is that it, it, it's a train wreck in the sense that you're right. It's utterly theologically superficial. It's also internally incoherent. It is internally contradictory. And what this is, is, is I think, as I've said before, I think this is a conclusion in search of an argument. I think they, that the, the Vatican has looked out at the broader ecclesial landscape and looked up to pl- you know, places like Germany and the German Synodal Way, and they see that there are people within more liberal con- enclaves of the church in Europe that want full-on sort of gay marriages essentially in the church to give liturgical blessings through, through official liturgical ceremonies in German or Danish churches and whatever to homosexual couples. And so the Vatican's looking at that and say, oh, well, we got a big problem here because we certainly can't allow that. But then they're looking over uh, at, say, their own previous document and, and maybe more conservative dioceses that say, in no way can we ever extend an olive branch or a blessing or something to, to, these, to these people. No way. It's a sinful union and so on. So the Vatican's looking at that. And, and what they should have done is to say the 2021 document is correct. The church cannot bless these unions, and then moved on to figure out 
ways in which the church can pastorally minister to homosexuals in extremely compassionate ways that are effective. All right? But instead, Cardinal Friend has decided that he wants to find a way to do blessings of gay couples. Okay? I think that's, that's the conclusion he had in his brain. I want to do a halfway house measure here. I don't want to go full on German. I don't want to go full on scorched earth, Cardinal Mueller, Cardinal Burke. I want to sketch out some sort of middle path. So he invents this sort of middle position, and it is purely an invention. And this middle position is there are blessings that priests can give that are not sacramentals, that are not liturgically oriented in any way, shape, or form, that are utterly outside of that whole sacramental liturgical realm. And those blessings, this is the first major sort of distinction that Fernandez makes that is incorrect in order to carve out this invented middle position. There are priestly blessings that aren't really, really priestly blessings. Uh, and, And that's the trouble with it. It's very contrary to the Second Vatican Council, by the way, which sought to, in some sense, make priestly blessings less less magical, less clericalistic. It wanted to make sure that priestly blessings were embedded within the church's liturgy, within its sacramental system, that we're not dealing with the image of a priest as a kind of shaman or, or a magical quasi guy with some kind of magic wand that he could wave over people who had special powers of his own separate from those of the church. No, the reason why people seek out priestly blessings, the reason why anybody wants a priest to bless them, and not me or you or any other lay person, is precisely because they sense the full sacramental weight of the church behind a priestly blessing. The priest, after all, has holy orders. The priest is himself a walking sacrament, if you will, in persona Christi. So what they want is that priestly blessing and for that reason. And so the DDF document in 2021 was entirely correct when it reaffirmed the teaching of Vatican II that all priestly blessings are however much downstream from the, the from the liturgy are in some sense within the world of liturgy oriented back towards the sacraments and liturgy. There's simply no such thing as a non-sacramentally ordered priestly blessing. That's that's Fernandez's first mistake here. He invents, and he himself says, this is a development of doctrine. This is innovative. This is what's new in the document. I have discerned in the tradition this kind of non-liturgical priestly blessing. He's wrong about that, and many people have pointed that out. The second mistake that he then makes in trying to scope out this invented middle is to say that we can bless couples but not their relationship. This is probably the most absurd and internally incoherent thing that the document tries to get. We're blessing individuals who are simply seeking to become better Christians. Well, of course, we did that. We could always do that. Priests can always bless sinners. There's a great, by the way, priestly blessing for sinners, and everybody can get it. It's called going to confession. It comes with a great blessing at the end that absolves your sins. You might want to try it. Okay, And the fact is that it's simply an attack on a straw man to say that the church has never before been able to bless sinners. We're all sinners. We get blessed at the end of every Mass. Go in peace. There's Absolutely. a blessing. Yep. You know, and, and, and we're all sinners. The church has always blessed sinners. What's this nonsense that we're now inventing a new kind of non-liturgical blessing so that we can bless repentant sinners? Uh, what you, uh, so now we're going to, we're going to bless these uh, homosexual couples, but we're not going to treat them as relationship couples. They're just two individual people holding hand and wearing wedding rings, 
who are presenting themselves to us for a blessing of their mutual lives together. And this is where the document is incoherent, because it says what is being blessed are the, the positive aspects of their relationship, the mutuality, the compassion, the helping Alone, each other when yeah. they're sick, that kind of thing. So what, which is it? Are we, so now we're, now we're splitting yet another hair to scope out this middle position. And this further hair that we're splitting is we're, we're, we're blessing a couple, but not the relationship, yet we are really blessing just the positive elements of that relationship. So now we're splitting hairs about the good bits and the bad bits in the relationship, and we're not blessing the bad bits. The 2021 document explicitly said, this kind of distinction-making is what we cannot do because it's incoherent. It is inherent in the nature of the couples who are presenting themselves for the blessing that they're in a relationship. The presumption has to be that they're in a relationship and that if you bless them, you're blessing the relationship. Now, if two people were to come up to you just randomly, and that's why Fernandez keeps saying, it's got to be spontaneous, it's got to be spontaneous. It, it, but, you know, if two people just walk up to any priest right and say, hey, Father, could you give, a, give us a blessing? We're really struggling in our lives. There's not a priest on the face of the earth that would say no to them and say, no, take a hike. I'm not going to bless you. Uh, of course, that kind of blessing can be given, and it's always been able to be given. So what's different here? Yeah. What's different is now we're explicitly stating if two gay men or two gay women come and up to a priest and say, hey, we, we, we're, we're a gay couple and we want you to bless us, the priest is now supposed to bless them without blessing their union or their relationship. And this is where I think the pastoral disaster creeps in and why people are suspicious of it. You mean to tell me that the Vatican was absolutely clueless as to what the current cultural situation is in Western culture with regard to homosexual marriage and relationships and so forth, that there are already vast swaths of the church that see nothing wrong with any of this, and that as soon as the document hit the ground, it was going to be spun uh, in the direction of Vatican approves gay blessings. And that's exactly how it was spun. There's Father James Martin setting up a photo op with the New York Times in his apartment blessing this married gay couple that he's known for years, all right, and it, 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 violating every rule in fiducia supplicants, apparently, the letter of it. But most of us who see it as a pastoral disaster view that as, uh, as exactly, in some sense, what the document intends. Right. Because they had, to, they had to know that this is how it was going to be spun. And, and if it's not what it intends— then is the Vatican going to is is the Vatican going to discipline Father James Martin? Of course yeah. not. We know the answer to that. Of course not. <clears throat> no, of course not. He's a voting member of the Synod. He works for the Vatican in their communications department. He's had frequent private meetings with Pope Francis. He gets letters from Pope Francis supporting his he work. Has letters from Pope Francis supporting his work and so on. And and so don't tell me, don't tell me at all that I'm just oh Europe. Francis hating, Pope hating, right wing nut. Fratty fuddy duddy, Larry. Yeah, who just can't see. Here's what the, this <laughs> way all the Pope's plainers are out there saying, read the document, read the document, read the. I did read the document. I did as well. Okay. I, yeah, I, I have the same exact reaction uh, to you. And I want to get into the document because I saw the same thing, Larry. I saw a lot of consternation when this first came out. I did not have a chance to read it the first day that it came out. I saw the dialogue back and forth and I saw the oh my goodness this document is the worst thing that's ever come out of the, out of Rome and I saw the sort of read the document it's actually a beautiful encapsulation of the church's theology of blessings and it's a great development okay so I read it like I said this is one of the most theologically lightweight things I've ever read I want to get into that I think if I refresh my page here it will fix my camera view so let me try to do that real quick and okay I'll go ahead 
And there you are. Okay, here we are. Hopefully, hopefully we uh, didn't lose anything there. Um, okay, great. So let's get into the document. I have it here in front of me. I want to call attention to a few things in here. Um, there, of course, are some good things here, specifically when it's affirming what the 2021 doc, uh, declaration of the CDF said. I think it's good. It's pretty strong. Um, Larry, as a professionally trained theologian who taught at the university level for many years, what would you say to the claim in paragraph eight of Fiducia Suplicans that blessings are among the most widespread and evolving sacramentals? Well, I would say that this right is one of the most widespread, but I have no idea what the document means by evolving. Exactly. Okay. I think that's just a very convenient yes. term that Cardinal Fernandez throws in there in order to justify the fact that this document represents a, a big evolving. Yes. If, you, if you're going to say the church can now offer priestly blessings that are somehow detached from the church as such. Right. Right. It's just sort of some sort of magic blessing from the priest. All right. And and that it's going to go towards people that are in sinful unions. Right. Uh, and, I, and I and I don't say that, you know, with, in a finger-wagging way. I'm just t- speaking objectively as a trained theologian. The church teaches... You know, that if you're divorced and remarried without benefit of an annulment, that you are in, in you are most likely in an immoral union. See, there's another thing too. It says irregular unions. We have to distinguish between a blessing of homosexual couples and blessing those who are divorced and remarried yes. without an annulment, because an annulment doesn't create a new situation. An annulment simply declares a situation to be true, and the church and, and annulments are neither infallible nor particularly fallible there's simply the church's best judgment and and there that that your first marriage was not validly sacramental and therefore we are dispensing you and in good conscience you can move forward and take communion right hey i myself have an annulment so i i I, you know and and i know what this is about but in in but there's also situations and amoris letizia makes this clear and why i i'm not one of the grand horrible critics of that famous footnote in Amoris Laetitia, where the Pope says there are circumstances in which it might be clear to a priest on the ground that the couple before him really, that they were not in invalid marriages before. And and it's very clear to him that the previous marriages were, were invalid. But it can't be proven in an annulment process right. because there are no witnesses, there's no documentation, uh, for whatever. Sometimes it is simply impossible to move forward with an annulment. And so what the Pope is saying, there might be cases in which a priest can simply recognize, I think they're in a valid marriage right now, and so I'm going to green light them to go to communion. Now, the danger, of course, is that everybody thinks their case is an exception. Of course, yeah. And now the great, the great pressure is on every single pastor to simply say, okay, you can go to communion. And in that sense, the document, Amoris Laetitia, was deeply flawed because it should have, it should have laid out extremely specific criteria for priests to follow in, in these cases and so on or simply reform the annulment process or sure. what, or whatever. Yep. But my point is simply this. Yes, you might be in an irregular union of divorced and remarried without benefit of annulment, but you may you may actually be in a valid marriage. Yep. Whether or not the church can declare it as such or not is going to require discernment. It makes sense. That's yeah. different from that's different from gay unions, which is impossible ontologically speaking to be ontologically yep. impossible. Right. There is no absolutely no way and and and, and this is one good thing about fiducia supplicants, right? And a lot of conservatives have pointed this out. At least it says that the church's teaching on marriage it, we, it is firmly, you know, reestablished in this document. Uh, and uh, it says for now, but we'll see. You know, that's that's kind of bad. 
But the, the, the fact of the matter is, it does reaffirm the traditional teaching. Yeah, let, let, me actually, that's true. let me actually read that part real, real quick. Read so it. This is paragraphs four yeah. and five. Um, Therefore, rites and prayers that could create confusion between what constitutes marriage, which is the exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between a man and a woman, naturally open to the generation of children, and what contradicts it, are inadmissible. This conviction is grounded in the perennial Catholic doctrine of marriage. It is only in this context that, se that sexual relations find their natural, proper, and fully human meaning. The Church's doctrine on this point remains firm. This is also the understanding of marriage that is offered by the Gospel. For this reason, when it comes to blessings, the Church has the right and the duty to avoid any rite, R-I-T-E, that might contradict this conviction or lead to confusion, such as also the meaning of the responsum of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, the 2021 document we were talking about, which states that the Church does not have the power to impart blessings on unions of persons of the same sex. So that's that's where we start. Okay, all, all good there. Then we yep. get to this claim in paragraph 8 that blessings are among the most widespread and evolving sacramentals, and then we and then we go into the liturgical meaning of the rites of blessing. Um, in paragraph 13, uh, we have a quote from Pope Francis that Fernandez employs, and basically says, Pope Francis urges us not to, quote, lose pastoral charity, which should permeate all our decisions and attitudes, and to avoid being judges who only deny, reject, and exclude, end quote. Then he says, Fernandez, let us then respond to the Holy Father's proposal by developing a broader understanding of blessings. So, I mean, this, again, this is just so tenuous, right? We have, the church has this very rich theology of blessings. They are among the most widespread of sacramentals. They are not among the most, most evolving, as Fernandez claims. And then so, but they are widespread already. I mean, he already made that point. Like everybody gets a blessing. You go to mass, you get a blessing. You go to confession, you get you get a blessing. Um, and so they're super widespread already. But because Fernandez says, well, Pope Francis said we you know can't lose pastoral charity, and we have to you know we can't we can't only deny, reject, or exclude. So we must then reexamine our theology of blessings and figure out if there's a, a new type of blessing to impart or a new mode in which we can do so. Uh, very, I think, tenuous um, foundations there to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fact is, the church has always been able to bless repentant sinners. So it, it, you know, if somebody walks up to you, let's say uh, you've got a neo-Nazi couple, husband and a wife neo-Nazis uh, walk up to you and they're wearing swastika, they have tattoos, you know, swastika tattoos on their foreheads and, and, and so on. And, and they walk up to a priest and say, look, we're, we're, we're just emerging out of a sort of neo-Nazi cult and we really would like to repent from that and we really would like your blessing to help us get over this okay fine or you know but but if but if if a couple of skinhead neo-nazis were to walk up to a priest or let's say a dude in a kkk hood were to walk up to a priest and say hey father i'm on my way to a grand wizard right, meeting right. here uh, could you give me a could you give me a blessing so that i can try and become a better person the priest is going to say, well, wait, you take off your hood. Yeah, right. And I might think about it. Right. And then we need to have a little chat. Uh, or in my blessing over you right now, the blessing is going to contain a strong admonition. Uh, perhaps an exorcist that, even. That, yeah. Yeah, that you repent from what you're about to do. Right. So um, I once said to someone who was involved in the synod and synodality when I was in Rome, because it, it was being debated then too, I'd be all in favor of priestly blessings of homosexual couples if the blessing contained an explicit reference of the need to repent from sexual yeah, sins. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I think, actually a really, really interesting idea. Like, rather than operating this sort of nebulous territory where, like, well, we can do, like, non-liturgical blessings that have to be spontaneous and pastoral, how about we just make a new rite of blessing for, you know, for couples who are in irregular unions and this blessing, you know, has an admonition and a movement towards repentance contained within it? I mean, that'd be, that'd be interesting. That'd be very interesting. Yeah, I'd be all in favor of that. And, and because it would... 
it would, number one, it would reinforce the notion of pastoral gradualism yeah. that Pope Francis seems to love, and I applaud him for it, that you have to meet people where they are. It can't be all just draconian morality turtles all the way down. Right. You know, that we are a church. It is a field hospital. We, we are calling people to sanctity. We are calling people up higher. It's one of the problems I do have with this papacy is it seems to set a very low bar uh, in, in that regard. It seems to have just set the whole call to sanctity thing aside and everything. Everything's a field hospital. Hospi- field hospital is still a hospital, by the way. It's still supposed to cure people. Yeah. It's not a hospice. Right. It's a field hospital, yeah. not a hospice. All right. And so the church at some point needs to be t- telling people, okay, here's your diabetes medicine. Now, medicine. now stop eating the Snickers bars. Okay, uh, because you're not going to get better if you keep living on Snickers bars. You're diabetic, and and and, and so so the you know the spiritual equivalent of that. So if, if we're going to so the point is that we've always been able to bless sinners, always. So what's new here? Right. Okay. Uh, what's new here? And 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 it says yeah, we have to reach out in pastoral charity. We can't shut any doors. Oh, really? Do they really mean that? They're not going to shut any doors. So like I said, if the Grand Wizard of the KKK walks up to a priest with his hood on and says, I'm on my way to do a cross-burning ceremony, and I want you to bless me. Uh, the, you know, uh, the priest, is the you know, the, there's obviously going to be limits to this. There are obviously going to be situations in which it's clearly the case where the priest can't bless this. This this notion that we can bless without appearing to approve is is really a, a, very, a very slippery distinction that's going on here. So the point is, is that what they clearly want to do is to say, well, gay blessings are not in the same category as neo-Nazis and KKK wizards. So cut that out. These are just struggling on us. And, and they're right about that. On the whole hierarchy of sins, I wouldn't put gay sex up there with being, you know, the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Not at all. But the point is, the church says it is sinful. All right. And we cannot, we cannot in the current cultural situation that we are in, appear to be engaged in a process of, of what some have called incrementalism. I think it's where helpful. Th- I, saw, I saw some commentator online. It might have even been you, Larry. I don't know. But someone, someone online, and I think this is a helpful analogy, said, you know, let's, let's, let's not run with the Ku Klux Klan. Let's just say someone who, you know, is a married 50-year-old, and then he has this paramour who's 30 years old, right. and he's having an affair with her, and they go to mass <laughs> together, and afterward they approach the priest and ask for a blessing. I mean, the priest is going to be like, well, I, I know you. And I know your wife is at home, and you're asking me to bless this this person. I cannot I cannot bless this relationship, right? Because you are in an objective state of sin. Uh, you can come to confession. Let's let's do that. Yeah, that's confession. a that's not, I didn't come up with that analogy, but it is a better one because it at least pertains to so-called irregular unions. Right. Uh, I I simply usually drag out the neo-Nazi or the KKK example in order to point out that sure. almost everybody would universally agree right. you can't bless that right. without appearing to approve something truly heinous. Right. Okay, but you're absolutely right. Uh, I've seen this example too. You know, the 50-year-old man who has a midlife crisis who leaves his wife and three kids to take up with some 25-year-old little chippy, uh, some little trophy wife. And, uh, you know, then he won- he comes aphotic and you give me a blessing here with my new young wife. I love the accents that, you, that you, you, you assign to these people, by the way. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that. So the deal is this. Fernandez is saying we're going to have these blessings that don't, imply approval and my point is that when you're dealing in our current cultural situation and you've got gay men and women presenting themselves to priests in and we've seen the pictures in the sanctuary of catholic church wearing rainbow stoles in at least one instance wearing a rainbow stole which makes it a little and they're and they're holding hands and they're civilly married and they've got wedding rings 
And you're telling me that that priest now blessing them does not imply approval. Of course it does. Yep. And that's why I would say this. I'm all, I would be all in favor because the document goes out of its way over and over and over again to put people like me on the defensive, on you on the defensive, like, what's wrong? All we're doing are blessing repentant sinners. These are people that are coming to God for his mercy and his grace, and they just want a blessing to increase God's mercy and grace in their lives. And I would say, well, that's great. Uh, but that's, they're, they're not presenting themselves in most cases that way. The gay couples that Father Martin blessed, for example, in his op-ed, did they come up to him and say, Father, we're in a gay relationship and we're trying not to have sex. We're trying to live chastely as the church teaches. So please give us a blessing to, to help us achieve that goal. I'd be all in favor of such a blessing. Yeah. yeah. All right. But that's not what they said. And that's not what is being said. The, 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 the document creates a fake blessee. Let's put it that way. A fake class of people being blessed. And that fake class of people being blessed are people in gay relationships who are truly repentant of the sexual dimensions of those relationships and are now in church seeking the mercy and grace of God to overcome their, their sexual sins and want a priest to bless them in order for that to happen. Guess what? That doesn't have to be a non-liturgical, informal blessing. If a, if, if, if a gay couple comes to a priest and says, we repent of our sexual sins and we want you to bless us, the priest can put on a stole and a vestment, yeah. and he can bless them for that, yep. okay? Yep. Full on, and you know what? Yep. Some gay rights groups have sort of pointed out, you know what? This blessing is actually very homophobic that Fernandez has come up with. Because what Fernandez is saying, yes, we can bless the gays, but quietly, in the back of church, hush, hush, with no publicity, and very spontaneously. And then he even goes so far as to say, and only should take 10 or 15 seconds, and then you're done with it in, in the clarification, <laughs> right? Yeah. And a lot of homosexuals are looking at that going, well, what in the heck are you saying, yeah. then? What kind of, who, who in their right mind is going to seek out this blessing? Hey, Father, over here, in the dark, in the alley, please bless us quickly before somebody sees us, because we, we, we don't want to get you in trouble. I mean, that's essentially the kind of blessing that Fernandez has in mind here. But he knows darn well that's not how it's going to go. Yeah. He knows darn well that it's going to go like it's going to go in most places. Priest with a stole on in a sanctuary blessing a relationship. He knows darn well that that's what's going to happen. These are not repentant, repentant sinners coming before the church asking for, and I'm and 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 Fernandez makes a big deal about the fact that the, there are those of you know like me who are demanding moral perfection before a blessing can be given. Are you kidding me? What a straw man! Yes, I'm not morally perfect. Every time I go to confession, I admit I'm not morally perfect, and I'm seeking a blessing for God's help. Nobody, absolutely nobody in the church is recommending that blessings be withheld from people who are struggling in sin, still still enmeshed in their sins, but desiring to get out of them. No one is denying that those people should be blessed. I mean, who, of us, who of us, who among us has not confessed habitual sin in the confessional before <laughs> and said, like, this is something... Oh, sign I, me This up. is something I, I struggle I confess the same sins over and over. Of course, of course. I mean, there's so much to respond to what you just said, Larry. I agree with it all entirely. On the point about this being, as you said, a solution in search of a problem, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Fernandez has, he's, he's created, created it's a problem in search of a, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. I said it was a conclusion in search of an argument. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's a solution in search of a problem, I think. Um, yeah, be, it is. Because too. as, just as you said, he sort of invents this class of people. He invents this class of priest 
as well who doesn't give the blessings that's right. and the requested. You know, I don't know a single priest. I think the document even maybe maybe it's the clarification that re- mentions like shrine things and pilgrimages and you know like spontaneous blessings given at those. There's not a priest in the world who, when he gives the blessing on the congregation at the end of mass, says. All of you who are living in irregular unions, please leave the building so I can extend this oh, blessing right. over the pure of heart. You know, I mean, that's 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 not the yeah. point of this. Um, yeah, there's so there, there's really like this is all entirely <laughs> fiction. I don't know a single priest who would ever withhold a general blessing like that. And again, if someone comes to them in in goodwill and says like I'm struggling with this habitual sin, or like Hey, look, my partner and I, we came into church for the first time in decades last Sunday and we came back again this Sunday and like now we're really wrestling with with some with some of these things that you said in the in the pulpit today and like yeah it's really gripping us but like we've been together for 20 years and this is really hard for us can you bless us I don't know a single priest even my most the most traditional priest I know I don't know a single one of them who would say I will not bless you for that no yeah uh, yeah you might find here and there some absolutely maybe. harsh and absurd maybe. priest but very rare, very, very rare. It brings up a very good point, Zach, which is this. I like that, solution in search of a problem uh, because and it's invented this whole class of, of blessees. It's also invented a whole class of priests as, as straw men. The first document, uh, the fiducia before the declare says, you know, that these blessings should be given without a great deal of preliminary moral inter- interrogation because that then places a kind of elitist sense of priestly control over the whole situation. What in the... I'm gonna, <laughs> What in the hell are you talking about? No, so this, I, 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 what kind of <laughs> blessings are out there? My goodness. <laughs> you make it sound like the priesthood or a group of goose-stepping Nazis I know. for crying out I loud. Know. I hate to use, I keep, I've used the Nazis a lot in this, but anyway, a lot of real nut jobs. I, I, uh, you want a blessing? Well, sit down here. I want to interrogate you first. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't give my blessings out to just nobody. Right. You know, I mean, come on. It also underscores this problem, that the... The actual situation in the church on the ground in, I'd say, at least North America and Europe, yeah. that's what I know, is the exact opposite. The The actual problem is relativism, a runaway latitudinarianism, a runaway moral laxity. Uh, you go into any Catholic parish that I've ever been in, in my entire life, going back to this, you know, the 1960s as a little boy, I think I don't think I've ever been in a Catholic church where the vast, vast, vast majority of parishioners didn't stand up at communion and go up for communion. Yep. I would. I mean, in a, in a congregation of say five hundred, you might find four hundred and ninety-eight come up uh, for yeah, communion. I was going to say four hundred ninety, but yeah, probably four hundred ninety-eight. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's like okay, well, that's that's kind of strange. And usually, the ones who don't go up are like the Protestant husband or wife right. of a Catholic yep. spouse. <laughs> sure, sure. And so they're respecting the church's teaching in this, uh, I'm not going to come up for communion because I'm a Baptist. I'm just here because I love my wife or whatever. In fact, I go to an Anglican ordinary church, and there are some people in our church that are like that. Sure. You know, they don't go up for communion because they're Protestant, but yep. they're there because their spouse is Catholic. All right? Uh, and so they, 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 we've got the, you know, where, where, where are these parish police officers standing in the communion line uh, pulling people they know are unrepentant sinners out of that line. You get out of this line right now. I know who you are. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not no, at all no. the problem. The no. problem is almost exactly the opposite, that we've completely lost in the church any sense of yes. Eucharistic discipline. And by the way, this same pope and his same, you know, curial regime, if you want to call it this way, has also gone out of its way to poo-poo any notion of Eucharistic discipline. Yes, absolutely, for sure. 
Uh, I mean, so, I mean so, the Pope has said many times, I've never denied communion to anybody. Well, well, good for you, uh, but maybe you should have. Right. Not a prize for the perfect, or medicine for the sick, <laughs> oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so that that brings me to my, the second thing I was going to respond to, which is is your point about how really this is, you know, this really is sort of homophobic. Like, let's just do it in the back of the church. Like, hush, hush, just sit in for three seconds. Yes. Yeah. That's all That's all that this should really take, right? Just sort of getting the blessing and it's got to be spontaneous, yada, yada. Um, I think the problem, one of the problems here is this is certainly Fernandez's. And I would say, you know, respectfully, the Holy Father's sort of understanding of pastoral practice. There's a paragraph in Fiducian Suplicans that says, the church, moreover, must shy away from resting its pastoral practice on the fixed nature of certain doctrinal or disciplinary schemes, especially when they lead to, quote, a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and classifies others. And instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying, which is exactly what you're talking about. That is a quotation yeah. from Pope Francis in uh, Evangelii Gaudium. But this whole this whole thing, like, we can't rest our pastoral praxis on the fixed nature of do- dogmatic and doctrinal schemes. What else do you rest it on uh, if you don't rest yeah. it on that? And the problem is, the problem, Larry is that when we divorce the the pastoral practice from anything that is fixed we end up with just this 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 you know ecclesiastical this liturgical free for all where no one actually knows up from down left from right uh, and you end up with people very confused on what the church actually teaches so so that right. reminds me of what what benedict wrote in caritas and veritate right you can't have love without actually also proclaiming the truth so some of our highest clerics want to think that we can just do have this have this sort of like pastoral practice that's about loving people but loving must also entail the truth, because if it doesn't, then it's actually not love. Right? It's just, think think of today how uh, you know it's there in in certain quarters, unfortunately, some very prominent quarters. It's viewed as violence if you call a transgender person by uh, by their actual name by their actual identity. You misgender them, and you right. get hauled off into court. And the claim about the violence of misgendering is that it does violence to call me something that is not in accordance with my nature. And that is a claim with which we agree, which is exactly why we will not call them something that is not in accordance with their nature, right? That's right. So we so to be loving, you actually have to proclaim truth. Otherwise it's not love at all. It's just That's right. it's just it's just it's it's allowing them to be further and further away from the truth. Dude, you have a wig on and a fake bra. Uh, but you're a dude, so I'm going to call you a man. Right. And if I call you a woman, that's the violence. Exactly. There, exactly. Therein, I'm committing violence against you because exactly I'm right. acquiescing into an untruth. Exactly. Uh, but you, you put your finger on something extremely important, which is that fiducia supplicants is part of a broader pattern of this of this papacy. Uh, and and people say, oh, it's a heretical papacy. I don't think so. What it, you know what it is? It's theologically stupid papacy. Yeah. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that point by. And I'm not saying Zach Crippen shares Larry Chap's views. Well, I would say things. theologically sloppy at a minimum. You know, I don't I don't. Yeah. Think I'm, well, uh, yeah. I, let's put it this way. I nothing sends a, a an alarm bell off in my brain as a theologian more than to hear, as you just said, some somebody from either the Vatican or from the where wherever who says, well. These blessings or the, the Pope Francis' pastoral style is predicated on the idea that we have to love people. Well, the reason why that's superficial and incoherent and drives me bat blank crazy is because it begs the question. It begs the question of what constitutes a loving act. And this papacy routinely pits truth against mercy, doctrine against compassion, uh, n- human nature versus pastoral exigencies, and so on. It's always putting them, pitting them against each other. And that quote that you gave, all right, is, is a perfect example of this, where 
if you are going to base your pastoral practice on the fixed truths of revelation, you are guilty of something. You, you are guilty of narcissism. I mean, the, the, it goes on to say narcissism. You are not loving properly. You're not being pastoral. You're being narcissistic because you're insisting on truth first, people second, as if those two things are not deeply connected with one another. Now, if there, there is a small band with here, a small group of people for whom that caricature probably does apply namely far right-wing Catholics who are deeply ideological about dogmas and are little heresy hunting mini-me torquemadas, mini-me, right? Going after, searching after every divergence from church doctrine and judging people based in this way. We all know people like that, right? The sort of doctrinally... Per- so, But then the question becomes, are those people themselves really adhering to ecclesial truth, the truth of revelation? Or have they turned certain dogmas into idols themselves? That they that they are they've fallen victim to what Ratzinger called ecclesiasticism, where the church points towards Christ, where they stop short at simply the church and turn the church into a kind of an idol, and therefore you have to hold. And so I get I get what that paragraph you quoted is is aiming at here, but it is so poorly written, so incoherently written, and so freighted and larded with a certain 1970s style opposition of truth with mercy that it just makes you want it makes me want to yank whatever hairs are still left in my head right on out uh, because it begs the question of what the loving thing actually is so you say what do we base it on if we don't base it on the truth well what they're basing it on it's very clear and it goes with the the their motu proprio on the reform of theology you you want to base it on people's experiences you begin not with the truths of Revelation. You begin with subjective human experience. And you view subjective human experience as already, in some sense, engraced by God. This is a kind of, some ways, a sort of runaway theology of grace, where everything is always already so engraced that, that we can't confine it. It is true, we can't confine grace to the church and so on. But to so break down those barriers that everyone everywhere is already engraced totally and completely with salvific grace. And what that then does is to valorize everybody's subjective experience. Everybody is a walking locus of tradition and revelation. Everybody's a walking vessel of the Holy Spirit's revelatory power. And therefore, we can't simply point to the Nicene Creed or the dogmas of the church. We have to look at people's subjective experiences because the Holy Spirit is there too. And if subjective experience contradicts some dogma of the church, we can't simply presume to begin with the dogma of the church in order to disabuse people of their wrong ideas. We have to sit down and take seriously that maybe they're right. And the dogmas, though not completely wrong, need to be nuanced and further developed and so on. This is what we're up against here. And the fact that I keep getting accused by the Pope's planers of being hated. No, I've been around the block a few times. And this is called incrementalism. All right. What it's called in the, and it's in it's been in the progressive playbook for decades. You begin with a little tiny, tiny affirmation. Here's all we're doing. We're just blessing sinners. What the hell's wrong with all you people? The Here's accents are on doing. point today, Larry. They're on point. All right. And then as soon as that little camel's nose is under the tent, the whole camel comes in. Well, if we're blessing these people, then let's go the next step. And it's called incrementalism. They've done it for decades. We're not idiots. 
and and the entire thing is is um, completely incoherent, shallow, as you said. What's anyway, the what's I the distinction real rant for the um, gradualism of the law versus the, the um, law of gradualism? Right? Law of gradualism, yeah. yeah. Um, that same idea for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's been. I, I you know, I honestly, have been surprised at a few people um, who have been, I think, overly defensive of this document. I just think, even from an objective point of view, this document is a disaster. Um, and I think I'm uh, I'm yeah. well supported in that claim, uh, given the fact that this document said essentially. I, I don't know exactly where the quote is, but it said, "This is the final word on this topic." Do not expect any further clarification from this office. And it took roughly 10 days, maybe maybe two weeks, for that yeah. office to publish a press release trying to clarify and, and, and sort of walk back and, and talk through some of the things. It, uh, it's interesting. I have I know we we're almost out of time, Larry, but briefly, um, I'll include this in the show notes as well. And I don't know if you've seen this, Larry, but there's a, um, there's a uh, nice, nice uh, article from the Pillar, PillarCatholic.com, um, talking through some of the responses of bishops conference to bishops conferences around the world to this um document and uh i'll share i wish i could share screen it's not working right now but um the usual players are all involved uh basically an austrian bishop uh, archbishop franz lochner says you know he was asked how priests respond to a same-sex couple's request for blessing he says basically now a priest can no longer say no um the the belgian bishops are really excited about this uh, essentially, all of the African bishops are very furious about it, and and yeah. several of them have said we are not going to implement this because, in particular, of the risk it. the risk of scandal and causing confusion to our people, um, and that would it would do injure to pastor it, it would injure pastoral charity actually, which is of course ironic given that paragraph thirty of fiducia says uh, pastoral prudence and wisdom uh, avoids all serious forms of scandal and confusion among the faithful, um, when that's exactly what this one is doing. So the point is, across the world, we've had divergent responses from bishop conferences, lots of confusion, which is exactly why the, why the press release was happening. And I think the press release is really sort of a, a CYA for Fernandez as well, who's really concerned probably about his job security here because he's kicked off maybe the biggest ecclesial crisis of the Francis papacy. Maybe not quite, but it's certainly up there. It's definitely top well, I think five. it is. Um, I think it is. And, and the point is, is that so many things have been exposed by this document. Number one. What has been exposed is the lie that the, that the current Vatican cares about the peripheries, the margins. Uh, what this document is obsessed with are precisely the petty bourgeois sexual concerns of the global north. It is, it is not a document, and nor has any document come out of the Vatican recently, that shows the slightest bit of concern for the major concerns of the global south. I was talking to an African when I was in Rome covering the Synod, and, and he made this very point that all of the concerns that everybody wants to talk about, from women's ordination to gay marriage and so on, are the concerns of the global north, not the global south. And we in Africa have a whole different set of concerns that don't involve this, and the Vatican doesn't seem to care. So what's all this nonsense about the peripheries, the peripheries, the margins? It's kind of exposed that that's false. The other thing that's being exposed here as false is synodality. Yes. Because this document was proposed precisely in non-synodal ways. They had their synod on synodality in October, and my guess is they wanted that synod in its final document to say something about the need for the church to develop perhaps a look at blessings for same-sex unions. The Africans, and indeed many Italian bishops and some French bishops, pushed back against including any of that in the final document of the synod. 
And so nothing uh, about LGBTQ stuff showed up in the final document of the Senate. Nothing. And that really angered a lot of people, all right, the progressives. Cardinal Supich, for example, on the plane ride home or soon after he got home in an interview said, well, don't forget the document. The document's not important. What's important is the event, the process, that the wheels have been set in motion. Yeah, that, that was damage control. All right. So the fact is they didn't get what they wanted from this Potemkin village called the, 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 the Synod. All right. They didn't get that. So out comes fiducia. And by the way, Fernandez let the cat out of the bag when he says that they've been working on this document for some time, which means even as the Synod was going on, yeah. And this was in our more synodal listening church of Parisia, where all voices are heard. Oh, now for the first time in 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit is being heard through the people of God. And we're now, all while that Parisia listening's going on, the, the DDF <laughs> is coming up with its own document anyway, out of, the, out of the mind of Cardinal Fernandez. And so lump, boom, thud, it hits the ground, and... and Half of the world's Episcopal conferences look at this and go, "Why did we even have a synod then? What was what was that? What was all that talking and listening all about over there? What was all that? Mm, how many hundreds of thousands of euros did we spend on a synod just so Cardinal Fernandez could lump this and dump this on us? It, there was actually a Spanish bishop, I can't remember his name, who gave an interview in Catholic News Agency, who said this very same thing. He goes, "Look, I'm not opposed to you know." reach outreach to homosexuals I'm not opposed to blessings of homosexuals what i'm opposed to is the very non-synodal way that this was brought forward and the chaos that has ensued and the kickback that has ensued has been precisely caused by the non-synodal nature of the way this was promulgated okay and if you're and, and what's really outrageous about it is that it's it's a change in pastoral practice that affects the entire church on a very hot button issue and if there is ever an issue that should have been vetted with the world's bishops, this is the issue that it should have been vetted with the world's bishops. Totally agree. And it sort of was obliquely through the synod on synodality, and they didn't get what they wanted. Right. Finally, I'm going to say one last thing with regard to the crisis this has created. There are certain pope splainers of who are very famous on internet who have come out and compared those of us who have dissented from uh, uh, fiducia supplicans with those who dissented from humane vitae. And they've even called fiducious supplicants the humane vitae of our time. Well, that in is, sense that that is absolutely absurd. That is for it's so, so many absurd. Reasons. Well, what it only goes to show how how desperate the pope's splainers are that the, now they're grasping at any straw. And so what they're saying is any document that comes out of the Vatican, just insofar as it comes out of the Vatican, is by definition beyond any criticism, any dissent, any whatsoever of any kind, and it's all of the same. First off. Humani Vitae was an encyclical from a pope. Right. One of the highest different teaching authorities of the church. Yeah. Different level. Very high. This is simply a declaration from the, from the DDF. Second, Humani Vitae reaffirmed 2,000 years of Christian tradition. It didn't invent something it new. It reaffirmed a Catholic teaching. Right. It didn't depart from it. It didn't develop it. <laughs> it didn't say, we are now moving on in a different direction. Okay? It simply doubled down on what we've always done. Fiducia Supplicans is saying we're departing from the church's tradition. You can say that we're not, but they are, because there never before in the history of the church have there been these sort of unofficial, non-liturgical blessings of homosexual couples who are presenting themselves to priests precisely as couples in order to get blessed. Right. And, and Fiducia Supplicans itself says this is a development of doctrine. And he even says this is innovative. 
Okay, so that's the difference between this and Humanae Vitae, for crying out loud. One's a papal encyclical, one's not. One affirms the church's tradition, one denies the church's tradition in order to develop something new. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the, the comparison is outrageous because and, 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 it wants to say that those of us who are complaining about fiducial supplicants are as bad as, say, Charlie Kern was back in 1969, right. you know, and, and, and he concocted a whole new moral theory, proportionalism, in order to justify, you know, this kind of dissent. Anyway, I'm on a rant now. But No, I mean, you're right. It also just does a uh, does great insult to, uh, to Paul VI, uh, just in comparing... Yeah. In comparing this work by Fernandez, I mean, there's a, there's a part early in Fiducia Supplicans um, where Fernandez goes into this. I honestly was laughing, Larry. I was I was reading it. He was talking about like there are blessings that that ascend to God, and then there are blessings that descend from God, and then there are blessings that extend from from one man to yeah. another. I'm just like, come on, man, come on. Yeah, this is yeah, that's a reach. This and is, I would add one last thing too. Uh, Paul, this you just said uh, you implied it. Paul VI issued this reaffirmation of Humanae Vitae at a time when it was grossly unpopular to do so. Absolutely. The 99% of Catholics and the vast overwhelming people in the broader culture all thought the church was going to change its teaching, wanted it to change its teaching, and when it didn't, that was essentially, that really was yep. essentially the end of the, of the Paul VI papacy. It destroyed him, and it destroyed his papacy because it was so unpopular. This document... This document gives a green light to that which is very popular, mm-hmm. that which is part of the zeitgeist, yes, yes, that which is current culturally fashionable, and it will it will bring no cultural enemies beyond the far right wing to this pope. Yep, it'll bring him nothing but accolades. Absolutely. Yet further evidence of this reforming pope, this wonderful pope. I mean, Chris Christie uh, already said that oh, yeah. his, his his thinking has evolved on the gay marriage issue and look at the Catholic Church and what they just released because even the Catholic Church is changing on this issue. So it is confusing. It's confusing to the faithful for sure. Um, last point on this, Larry, uh, the press release that Fernandez had to publish to, to follow up, I mean, it's just, it's 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 funny. I just, again, <clears throat> laughed while reading it. I mean, there's even a part, you mentioned the 10 to 15 seconds thing, but he says uh, at this point, I think it's, uh, yeah, number, paragraph or section five, uh, the fifth paragraph of section five, he says, we were talking about something that lasts about 10 or 15 seconds. Does it make sense to deny these kinds of blessings to these two people who asked for them? Um, hilarious. Uh, that yeah, he's like, it's hysterical. He's <laughs> but it, it, so now we're timing the blessings. Right. Uh, number three, section three of this press release. I already mentioned how the African bishops, more or less unanimously from my reading of it, have said, this is a disaster. We are not going to implement this in our conference because of the risk of causing grave confusion and scandal to our people, and it will not be pastorally prudent uh, or in accordance with the gospel. That's right. The press release that Fernandez says um, totally skirts around their actual objections and tries to make their objections about something that they are not. It says, the cases of some Episcopal conferences must be understood in their contexts. In several countries, there are strong cultural and even legal issues that require time and pastoral strategies that go beyond the short term. So basically just like those backward rube, backwards rubes in Africa. Oh, I'm just, glad you brought this up. Just some cultural things, yeah. Um, because then, what, yeah, go ahead. It, it, go, it underscores the racist nature of that response. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he says, if there are laws that condemn the mere act of declaring oneself as a homosexual with prison, and in some cases with torture and even death, it goes without saying that a blessing would be imprudent. Um, I, that... It, it, I mean, it does not go well, you know what? That's not I what mean, their that's not what their objection is about at all in the slightest. <laughs> I, I I agree, 
uh, with uh, the criticism of certain very draconian forms of civil legislation of course, against homosexuality that one finds. And I've mentioned this in other podcasts, that this is a reality in the African situation, that many African bishops themselves have said, you know, this is this is not good, right. but still we have to deal with it. Yes. But that's not why they've objected. At all. And, At and, all. and, and, and furthermore, there are civil codes in the Western world that fall afoul of Catholic teaching as well, such as the unlimited license for abortion, for example. How about no-fault In Western cultures, or no-fault divorce. I mean, there are other aspects of Western culture that the Cardinal Fernandez of the world just turn a blind eye to because that's his culture. Right. He's not going to look at Western liberal democracy and say, um, here's why you guys really fall short on abortion and, and you know, uh, divorce and whole family issues. I mean, as John Paul II called it, a culture of death. Okay, they're not going to go down that road at all because uh, you guys, you know, there's no enemies to the left of us here. You guys are you have your hearts in the right place, but these these uh, weirdo Africans over here who are still living, you know, 300 years behind the times in the dark ages and so on. Because he might as well have said that. He might as well have said, "Hey, you backward Africans, don't presume to lecture the rest of us." Uh, you know, just like Walter Casper, Cardinal Casper said before the sin in the family when he was right. caught on tape by Ed Penton saying, you know, the Africans should not tell us so much what to do. And and in the context was because they they haven't yet gone through the cultural transformation yeah. and enlightenment that we have gone through. Right. Uh, they have yet to go through their enlightenment. Yeah. The, uh, the enlightened people. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is just part and that goes back to what I said about it gives a, the lie to this whole thing about this is a papacy for the peripheries. Yeah. It might be for the sexual peripheries, but it's not, you know, I, I think that's kind of what it's being exposed as what is what so much of this papacy is about is valorizing the sexual peripheries. Yeah, um, it's uh, I mean, on one level, as I've said many times already today, it's this whole this whole rollout has just been a disaster and it's been very funny in many respects. It's also very sad, though, because there are people on the peripheries who are confused, saddened, scandalized by all this. And that's terrible. Um I know we're yeah. just about out of time, Larry. You've probably heard this quote before. Hilar Belloc, um, fantastic writer, uh, obviously long, long since passed. Um, but he said, the Catholic Church is an institution I am bound to hold divine. But for unbelievers, a proof of its divinity might be found in the fact that no merely human institution conducted with such knavish imbecility would have lasted a fortnight. Absolutely true. And that was from an, a, a different era from ours, but it's still true. Yeah. And I would say, too, along those lines, you know, I know a lot of gay people uh, who are trying to live chaste lives within the church who have told me, and then maybe you have this experience too, have told me they feel completely thrown under the bus and betrayed by this papacy. Yes. It feels like the entire movement is in the direction, because here the gay people that are trying to live chastely, according to the church's teachings, already take all kinds of criticism from within the gay community. Oh, you guys are just imbibing the ideology of your oppressors. You guys are just self-loathing homosexuals who have not yet truly embraced yourselves. Right. You've bought into this really hate-filled ideology that's distorting you and making you hate yourselves. You need to come out of this. So they already get that from the gay community. Then they turn around and they get it from the Catholic Church. Yeah. Oh, we need to bless you because, you know, what you're doing is just so great in so many ways. And they really feel betrayed by this. Absolutely betrayed by this. Yeah, it's so sad. Um, and I, yeah, I totally agree with you and have friends in the same position. There's an, there's an organization, by the way, I'm, I have asked them for an interview, um, and we're going to see if we can work it out. So hopefully soon, but it's called Eden invitation. It is for, um, Catholics who are struggling with, 
um, same-sex attraction or other sort of non non-heterosexual or, or sort of non-conforming um, sexual desires and identities. Um, great organization, and they are trying to live live faithfully. Who runs that? Um, uh, Anna, uh, what's uh, I'll find that for you. Uh, I'll include a link actually in the show notes for anyone okay. who's interested. Um, but yeah, so I'm hoping to have Anna on um, on the podcast soon to just talk about what that is. Because you're right, Larry. It is so countercultural. It is such a difficult cross to bear. And people like Anna uh, and, and members of Eden Fisher are doing exactly that, um, trying to live bravely. Anna yeah. Carter, by the way, that's the name. But I'm going to drop a link um, to the, in the show notes to this as well. Please do. Um, yeah, so uh, we always end with Universal Call of Holiness. Um, Larry, I think that's a good one. Um, we should certainly pray for our uh, our LGBT brothers and sisters who are struggling Absolutely. with those struggling with with same with issues of same same sex attraction, um, feeling thrown under the bus. Uh, we should obviously always have uh, love and charity for everyone in the church who is on the margins. Uh, I certainly agree with um, Pope Francis and his his pastoral impulse to do exactly that. Um, this this thing, this declaration from the DDF is not uh, is not moving us closer in that direction. I think it's moving us farther away. Um, so. Right. I think the, the, what, I, what I would end with is just encouraging my listeners, do not be dismayed by this. Do not be discouraged by this. This is a, um, you know, this is an unfortunate thing coming from an incompetent, you know, bureaucrat cardinal in the Vatican. Uh, but we shouldn't, we, I think we really shouldn't make too much of it. Maybe you disagree, Larry. But I think that uh, the church is obviously still the church. Uh, she will be here. She was here long before you and I were. She will be here long after we are here. Um, she is the vessel of God's mercy on earth. Um, and she will endure uh, this small, silly declaration from the DDF notwithstanding. Sure will. Um, so that's that's my closing. Uh, Larry, any, any, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I, w- I would just say that, you know, I often get criticized by people saying you should show more respect to the Pope and so on and so forth, that, you know, that you're undermining the faith of people because you make it seem as if the Pope is, you know, look, we've had bad Popes. And I make no bones about the fact that I don't think Pope Francis is a very good Pope. But he's not a heretic. He hasn't he destroyed. He is the Pope. He has, but he's made some very serious, I think all of his mistakes are pastoral ones. And I think he's made some very serious pastoral mistakes. And I defended him for five years, but the pastoral mistakes keep piling up and I'm not going to remain silent. So make that what it is. But he's the Pope and he's not a heretic and the papacy is intact. And we've had clunker Popes before. I think he's a bit of a clunker, but he's yeah. got good qualities too. He does have good qualities. And so... There you go. I think that's fair. You know, I will not. I will not defend uh, the more controversial, much of many of the more controversial things that he has said and done. But I will certainly defend his papacy um, as yeah. being true, and he is the vicar of Christ. And so, uh, you know, I would certainly debate debate with the city of Agantis all day about that reality. Um, but I think, like you said, even Saint Paul had to confront Saint Peter once when he made a mistake about the Judaizers' yeah. circumcision. Yeah, that's true. And I do think we need to be clear headed about the pastoral mistakes because. The pastoral mistakes are the visible ones to the people in the pews, right? Uh, the yes. theologians and the academics, they'll read through and parse all the encyclicals and they'll argue back and forth over the finer points of Amoris Laetitia and Evangelii Gaudium and this declaration. But um, the the pastoral impulses and where those mistakes should be made are are where uh, you'll see rever- reverberations all the way down to the uh, to the you know the lowest the lowest form of the, the not form the lowest level of the faithful, right. right? The sort of absolutely who are just just darkening the door of a church for the first time in their life. And they're not going to understand the fundamentals if they've been, um, you know, misled pastorally. So I think it really is good for us to be clear-headed about that um, and to always boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel. God is love. God loves every single one of us. And that is what the church must proclaim. Uh, That always involves 
um, teaching us what is true as well. And what is true is important because it is what is most conducive to our human flourishing and to our ultimate calling to be fully united with the divinity, the most holy trinity. So that's where we'll end. Larry, thanks so much for joining me again on this show. It was great to see you again. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. And you too. Thanks a lot. yeah, to my listeners, I'm going to drop those uh, those links in the show notes. You can read the declaration, you can read the press release, uh, the Pillar Catholic article outlining uh, responses to it, the link to Eden Invitation, and like I said, hopefully I'll, I'll have Anna Carter on soon to talk about that. Um, Larry, thanks so much for joining me. Thank to you. To my listeners, great to be back. Great to uh, be back on your screens doing another episode. I'll be back soon, and until next time, God bless you.